this is Dr. Bob Evans, and welcome to our podcast, Parental Alienation from Couch to Courtroom and Beyond. We will discuss the resisting and refusing dynamic, commonly referred to as parental alienation, how you'll know it's happening in your case, and what can be done about it. Parental alienation can cause stress and trauma in high-conflict cases. These podcasts focus on how attorneys and mental health professionals can support families and children. Hello. Well, I think we're talking about episode 13 here, and I wanted to continue with our list of uh, effects of the alienating strategies on children uh, that was published on the Parental Alienation Legislative Fund website, and that would be P-A-L-G-P-A-S-I.org, in case you're interested. It looks like a good site. It looks like a good site to make a donation if you're interested. So we're up to number 16, <clears throat> which is basically not discussing. Um, in other words, they don't discuss decisions regarding medical care, education, or religious training with the other parent. Of course, the effect of that is to basically eliminate the other parent as an adult, as an adult parental caregiver, and so they're just so unimportant, we don't have to discuss anything. Number 17 is not listing the other parent's contact information on school medical forms when required or as appropriate, and of course, it's again the same purpose or motive is to eliminate that parent from the children's lives. And of course, when a parent tries to pick up a child from school or go get information from a physician, they're not on the list, so therefore they can't get any information and they can't pick that child up. Not inviting or disallowing the other parent to attend events that are important to the child. Birthday parties, sports events, banquets, recitals, etc. Again, that parent is, is then becomes apparent that that parent doesn't really want to pay attention to that child. They don't love that child. They certainly don't love that child enough to come to the birthday parties or the sporting events or the banquets or the recitals. So this is just becomes evidence to show that that parent really has really no interest in, in that child. Uh, being inflexible about reasonable requests for changes to the parenting time schedule. One of the things that you see frequently is that there's a parenting plan that says the parent can call at 8 o'clock p.m., let's say, and, and they have a 15-minute window, and if they don't call by 8.15, don't answer the phone. Or that parent can only have every, every other weekend beginning on Friday, at, let's say, after school at 3.30 until, you know, Sunday night until 6 p.m. And there's no flexibility whatsoever in that schedule. Well, of course, the favored parent is saying, well, I'm just following the law. I'm just following the parenting plan. But the effect is that it really makes the parenting time between the the rejected parent and the child uh, much more sterile and flexible and, and really limits the ability of that child to have a bonded relationship with the targeted parent. Number 20 is using the child care services rather than giving the other parent the opportunity to spend time with the child. In other words, instead of allowing uh, parenting time with a parent, 
the favorite parent will basically put the child in a daycare or an aftercare program even though the other parent might be fully available. We see this also done with grandparents, by the way. If a, if a grandparent of a rejected parent, you know, uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about, is available to watch the child, the f alienating favorite parent will deny that time sharing and put the child in some other care, some other person's care, rather than somebody in that side of the families. Common, common, common. Number 21, being intrusive or interrupting the child's scheduled time with the other parent, making frequent, unnecessary phone calls, texting, emailing, uh, instant messaging. So keeping that child totally preoccupied and connected with the favorite parent, but at the same time, the effect is it totally disrupts the time that the target or the alienated parent has with that child. Number 22 is making it difficult for the child to call, text, Skype, FaceTime, whatever you want to do with the other parent. In other words, the favorite parent makes it almost impossible for the child to take the initiative to contact the rejected parent. And again, this is set up so, number one, the rejected parent, of course, is totally feels totally rejected, i.e., um, and the child is denied access. Keep the child away from the targeted parent long enough and that that relationship appears to start to deteriorate. And I say appears because you understand that once you have an attached relationship with the child, that attachment is going to remain forever. Keep rejected or targeted parents frequently feel that that child is no longer loves them or no longer wants to see them. That is far from the truth. What's happening is this is the child is, is responding in a, as a survival mechanism in order to be able to live with the favorite parent and survive with that favorite parent. They're not allowed to show affection. They're not allowed to take the initiative to have that time with that parent. So that's a really important thing for targeted parents to really understand and appreciate. Not to get angry with the child because it's not the child's fault. The child is simply trying to survive in a very hostile environment. Number 23 is requiring the child to have all communications with the other parent on a speakerphone or otherwise denying them any kind of privacy to communicate with that parent. And that's basically so they can monitor what the child's saying and sometimes they might even be able to, they'll record some of it so that they can catch the rejected parent in the action of saying something like, well, I'm looking forward to seeing you this weekend, or, um, hey, I, I love you, good night, you have a good time. And that statement of, I love you, have a good time, is totally, frequently misinterpreted to the court for a guardian ad litem, a therapist, the opposing attorney, and they make it look like you're just taunting the child. You're making the child feel bad. You're creating this problem with the child by telling the child that you love them and you miss them. And that's sort of like a no-no. You're not allowed to do that in these situations. And I've seen cases where this has totally been um, abused by evaluators, by guardian ad litems. And of course, it's highlighted and, and exaggerated by the opposing attorney, the par attorney that represents the favorite parent. Uh, telling the child not to call, write, or text to the other parent. That would be number 24 if you're keeping track. 
basically there's a prohibition for the child to have any communication with the target or rejected parent. And sometimes they're threatened. Sometimes the child is actually threatened. If you do that and I find out about it, well, I'm just going to let you go live with him or her. You name it. And, and Or uh, you're not going to go out this weekend. Or I'm going to take away your phone. Or I'm going to take away your, your iPad, etc. They get punished for reaching out to the other parent. At some time, you start to see the child then acclimates to that type of punitive environment. It becomes a survival mechanism for the child. Um, number 25, making the child unavailable at scheduled times with the other parent. In other words, the child's not around anymore. The child's asleep. The child doesn't feel good. The child's at pra baseball practice or soccer practice, and you can't go there. Okay? Um, the child's out horseback riding. You name the activity. We got the child totally sequestered from the other parent involved in some kind of favorite activity. And of course, if the targeted parent insists that the child come with them, somehow finds out where they are, then they become the bad guy because now they're interrupting the favorite activity of the child. And it just becomes evidence to show that that parent, the targeted rejected parent, truly doesn't love that child. Otherwise, of course, they would allow the child to participate in their favorite activity. And you're going to always be able to see the child, uh, not. Number 26 is using the child to convey messages to the other parent rather than communicating directly. Um, the child wants to attend a birthday party. The child doesn't want to go over to the targeted parent's house. Instead of the favorite parent notifying the other parent, the child doesn't feel well, the child is tied up with doing something else, they're preparing for some kind of activity, they're doing homework, they have the child do it. So that even becomes more painful to the targeted parent. Now the child's actually telling that parent, I don't want to come and see you. And then they have some kind of an excuse not to come and see them. And, and they, they, they a cousin's visiting, or an aunt and uncle are visiting, or some any significant event is occurring, but that child now has to convey that information to the other parent, and it, it becomes even more hurtful. And it gets misinterpreted again, understanding that the child is trying to survive, and the targeted parent sometimes gets angry with the child because they're now saying something that they, they really don't like. Number 27 is asking the child for information about the other parent or to spy on the other parent. This is a frequent tactic where children are asked sometimes to go through desk drawers, trash. I had one case where the child was actually enlisted to go through the trash and take pictures of beer bottles or whiskey bottles that are allegedly in the trash can to de document and demonstrate that the uh, rejected parent is really an alcoholic. Um, going through their desk to see if you can get pay stubs to show that the uh, rejected parent has got has more money than they're letting on to and so therefore they they want to share the uh, information back to the favorite parent so that that favorite parent can go back to court and say we now have proof sometimes they'll actually take documents from the uh, targeted parent and bring them back to the favorite parent so they have hard evidence that the parent is now spending money on buying a new car but they're not paying more child support or they're going out on vacations when they're not supposed to go out on vacation. However they want to misuse that information, they do it. Um, 28 is asking the child to keep secrets from the other parent. Uh, we're going to go away to Disney World this weekend so don't tell the rejected parent 
that we're going to go because if you do, then they might take us back to court and stop us from going. Or we're going to go to um, California instead of the local one in Florida. Or I'm going to go having the child basically uh, keeping secrets. Uh, don't tell the other parent that um, uh, I got a raise because then they'll take us back to court and they'll want more money or any, any things like that. Um, enlisting the child to betray the, the targeted parent, it, it creates a real problem for the child. You think about how that can be so hurtful to the child. Number 29 is discussing child support or financial issues with the child or blaming the other parent for financial difficulties. Well, we can't go to McDonald's this weekend because uh, the other parent didn't give us any child support or the other parent uh, is not giving us any money. And sometimes they'll actually lie and say that the targeted parent is not giving them any child support when in fact they are, but the other parent is, is not. It basically wants to create this adversarial relationship between the child and the targeted parent. So you, we're having difficulties, financial difficulties, because the other parent is not giving us enough money or not giving us any money. And number 30, leaving adult information like copies of court motions, etc., out where the child may can have access to it. If the child can read, they're old enough to read, they'll frequently leave uh, motions. And I, if you know anything about legal motions that are usually generated by an attorney, they sound very factual. They sound like they're the truth and they look very official. And so they become very convincing to the child that the other parent is this bad parent, they're, they're uh, an alcoholic or they have a mental disorder or they're failing to pay for different necessities. And that's all put in a motion and it looks very real. Now they go to go to court, they file the motion and then they have a hearing on whether or not there's any credibility to the motion. Child doesn't know that. The child just sees these legal documents and then off they go to the, to the races, to the court. And, and it becomes evidence again to the child how neglectful, how uh, poor parenting the uh, targeted parent is in these situations. So I just wanted to finish that list for you so you get a sense of it. And again, I encourage you to go to the Parental Alienation Legislative Fund website. A uh, lot of information is... Um, interesting interesting documentation there and I think you'll find it very helpful if you are a parent going through this tell your attorney about this site tell your your mental health counselor about this site um, if you're having a, a custody or a parenting plan evaluation tell the evaluator about this site so they can become more educated about this phenomenon it's a real problem that the people involved in these cases are not well-versed in this topic, and they think they know it, but they don't. And what happens is you become the victim of their, for the want of a better term, ignorance, the lack of knowledge on this whole topic. Well, I appreciate your listening and um, hope this information is helpful. You all take care. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on this topic, please visit www.drbobevans.com or www.naopas.com. We offer classes for both legal and mental health professionals to help educate them on the signs and strategies of parental alienation and how to move forward for a healthier environment for the children of divorce. Please visit 
www.naopas.com and sign up for our courses and use coupon code PODCAST for a 50% discount. Mm-hmm.